Welcome to the Precision Health Pod, where we talk to the people building and experiencing the future of health. Today, we want to welcome Quinn from Plantiga, a company that tracks your real-world biomechanics with personalized coaching to help you move better. Welcome, Quinn. We're excited to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd love to get started with just learning a little bit more about you. What's your story? How did you get to where you are today? So my story is a little bit of a, a, an interesting one. It involves my family. I actually had a background in graphic design and product design, so it wasn't even really around the health and wellness sphere. My dad, though, was. So my dad had spent years around gate labs, around biomechanics, and around product. And so... I think about a decade ago now, it was more like a side project where my dad was like, look, if we can replicate what we get from a gate lab inside of a shoe, that'll open up crazy blue sky opportunities. So it kind of started like that, where we were kind of trucking along. It was me and him getting some government grants. Um, And then in 2018, when we did our pre-seed round, we went through the Creative Destruction Lab, which is this amazing accelerator um, it started in Toronto, but now they're all over the world. Um, and the sad bits of this story is my dad got very, very sick with prostate cancer at that time and passed away. So this story of where I am is very much tied to my family, very much tied to like me and my dad and our AIs named Norman after my father. Um, so it's not like it was sad. Now it's just more happy. And, and, you know, he sits on all of our patents, but that's the genesis uh, of this is I kind of was brought into it, um, through my father, but now kind of like you, you know, I have professional teams asking me my opinion on, you know, said athlete coming back to the NFL, you know, it's like, I'm a, a pseudo data scientist, quite frankly. Um, so I'm very much in this space, but I didn't start here. So you obviously had a personal experience, which is really sad. I'm sorry to hear about, about that. How did you take that personal experience and really go from zero to one? Um, it sounded like you went through an accelerator, but what else, what else did you do? So I think the, the biggest thing for us was, and this kind of came from my dad is we needed to get out there and start measuring real world biomechanics because it doesn't really quite exist. Like if you look at most studies, they're done inside of labs, instrumented treadmills and motion capture. So how we got from zero to one was getting our prototypes early on into sports teams. So that, you know, I linked up with uh, Gary Vitti and Tim DeFrancesco at the Lakers. And we did a little bit of stuff before they had a shake up there a few years ago. Um, We got into the Mariners early often. Um, We got into the Houston Rockets and a guy named Jason Bile. So I think kind of for us to go from zero to one is we just got into these organizations and it was rough. Hardware was breaking. Radio frequencies was breaking. It was it was filled with problems. But I think we just jumped in as opposed to sticking around labs, prototyping for too long. We really got wet quickly and was painful, but good. Like the USTA was another partner. We had lots of stuff go go wrong with them in Orlando, but they're still customers. And you know what? Yeah, you, you kind of work through, through that. So that was the biggest thing is just building the technology, building the playbook, understanding what was meaningful changes and what wasn't, doing research. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was the basis of it. 
that's so interesting and kind of how you, how you really kind of went for it um, and just started and, and dealt with the, the problems that came up. So let's talk a little bit more about Plantiga itself. How does it work? So basically we have, our goal is to empower both athletes and individuals and practitioners with this powerful data set and then help them understand how to interpret that data and apply that data to actual action. So how it works is we have these sensor pods that go into active and insole. They'll get shipped to a member. They open it up, they unbox it, they set it up, they hook up this little, what we call a base station to the internet, like a, like a Google Chromecast. And now they can collect walking, running, jumping, any activity, kind of like you would start a timer on your Strava app. We have a mobile app and you would start, I'm going to go for a run, a walk, et cetera. Then that data gets reviewed by a movement coach. So our movement coaches have a number of members and we help with this high level analysis, um, chatting connection to drive people towards whatever goal that they have. So that could be actually the majority of people that use our product are recovering from some orthopedic injury or dealing with some movement issue like a dystrophy or MS or Parkinson's. Um, it's funny that it's in those two camps. Um, and then we work with our members to optimize their movement for better health and performance and really ultimately a happier life. So what kind of benefits are our members seeing? Obviously better, better health and performance, but what does that mean to them? On a yeah. Day? So I think the biggest transition that we see is someone has an ACL. So that's a really bad knee injury. They have a surgery. It's a, uh, they say nine months. It's basically a 12 to 24 month process. You're at the greatest, you're at the greatest risk for re-injury at 24 months, actually. Um, and it has some of the highest re-injury re rates. It's as high as 33% and even higher in some populations. So what happens is we start collecting and working with them, let's say they're four months post-op. So really we're looking at right versus left asymmetries across a wide, um, uh, a wide variety of parameters like ground contact time and flight time and stride length. But really what the data is doing is it is determining whether their rehab is progressing or not. Are they actually getting better? Are they plateauing? Are they regressing? Which is actually something you see often. So we're using that data to drive the programming. And that just then goes to influence or provide the data back to their physical therapist or the team. But it's really rooted in data-driven decision-making around how to progress somebody, even to determine whether someone is ready to go from walking to running. Running to changing direction is a big one. Then changing direction back on the court. So we're really bringing the kind of the best of evidence-based care to individuals. Um, and that's kind of the crux of it is that type of data um, collected. And then those types of reports kind of on a weekly and monthly basis. So it sounds like the, the populations that are maybe using this or benefiting it from the most are the ones that are doing that injury recovery or they have that specific condition. Do you also have folks that are kind of saying, Hey, I want to run faster or I want to play better or do something along those lines? Uh, I'd say it's over 30%. Project. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the majority is in that recovery phase, but I think we have at least 30% that are completely healthy that are using this to optimize performance and how we do that for them is a lot of times it's measuring fatigue and getting a better awareness of how hard they're pushing themselves and when they might need to kind of pull back a bit. Um, and then there's also gait retraining or gait training where 
you could like not everybody runs in an efficient way. So there is low hanging fruit often that we can give feedback around cadence and using some metronomes and stride length to really optimize someone's movement efficiency so they can run a faster marathon or something like that. So movement efficiency is one benefit. Are there any other on the performance side? Are there any other things that people say, hey, I want to do X? Can you help me with it? Yeah, so often it's I want to run a faster time in some competition is a big one. I want to run a sub three hour marathon or sometimes the performance goal is kind of on the injury prevention side, too, is I want to perform without hurting myself. So there's kind of like this duality around let's track your performance and give you programming and strength and conditioning stuff to get faster and stronger. But then also let's monitor you to make sure that we don't get injured in, in, in the same process. Um, but again, like our bread and butter is really with people that have had movement health taken away from them. That's where, that's where it's more like a cancer drug and less like a vitamin. It's like you yeah. need to track that. Not like I want to. When someone is uh, for a performance goal, I often find that they want to, but they don't need to. When you're hurt, you need to. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like on the performance side, it may be kind of more of the professional athletes or professional part-time athletes, as I sometimes call them, the ones that are the weekend warriors trying to run sub three hour marathons. Um, that's not something, yeah, that's not something the average, the average mainstream kind of athlete necessarily no. is, is really striving towards. Um, yeah. and how is this kind of different from what else you can get on the market? Are there other products that are similar to this? Is this kind of something new and completely innovative in the space? Where do you guys sit with that? Yeah. So there are definitely, we're not the first people to put sensors in shoes. Um, a lot of times when people have, uh, sensors, like there's a run product out of London, I think called nerve, which we've purchased a lot of times they clip the IMU on the laces, which is like this company strider. They clip it on the inside or the outside of the shoe. Um, so our data quality is just much better than those systems. We sample out on a much higher rate. Um, we bring in the human being as the kind of connection and the glue there. Um, and then, we do a lot around machine learning and AI to establish someone's healthy movement signature and then flag if they deviate from that norm. And I don't think that exists in the world today. So again, like there's this product called Salted out of uh, Korea, but they're kind of trinkets. And I don't mean to be rude, like we bought them all, but they're not like, I can't think of another smart insole company that's used in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball. In fact, I know there isn't, and we're the only ones, which is great. Um, so I feel like we're just trying to bring, like we almost identify as a data science company that's reimagining movement related care more than we are a wearable company. So really it's a lot of the data analysis, like that's our moat is really the data, the models less on the actual hardware. And I think that's our differentiator. Yeah, definitely. And as if you have of more of those types of people that you're targeting, you're getting data, you're getting that feedback loop, you're just continuing to build that moat um, and really make your product above and beyond whatever exists or could exist going forward. Like on that point too, so I track this, we just passed um, 66,000 data sets, which means a walk test, a run test, a jump test on 4,400 people. And we just surpassed 930,000 hours of data collected over the last three and a half years. 
So there's just been a lot of data and that is probably the most valuable thing that we have. Definitely. So you have kind of this right now, you're targeting these specific customers. What is the broader vision for this? Kind of how are you thinking about the next five years? So I think we're in a stepping stone to actually embedding this in footwear. So I think, and I know because I deal with it, there is friction in having an insole. You have to put it in your shoe. You have to take it out. I have to take a piece of like, like a pod, a sensor, and I have to upload data, data, um, data. It's not for everyone. There is friction there. And I think what's happening is I would, whether we do it or not, there is going to be this like coming of smart footwear for not just athletics, but fall prevention. Like it's going to be a core instrumented part of what people wear in the next three to five years. And I really feel like we're building the backbone where we could be licensing that to footwear manufacturers and digital health groups. That's where I feel like we're positioning ourselves with our data set and the core that we've built. You can really apply what we've built to Parkinson's, to fall prevention, to soccer, to basketball. Um, and in that, you know, we've had lots of amazing conversations with footwear manufacturers over the last 12 months. Um, but that's the goal is we want to make an impact. I say we want to touch millions of souls, double entendre, um, cheesy dad joke. Um, but uh, that's the path. So the path is building this into smart connected footwear. And really, we don't want to be in the footwear game. We really want to build those kind of channel partners um, and do that over the next few years. So it's really part about being kind of part of that connected health ecosystem where in the next, let's call it three to five years, everyone's going to be getting their supplements based on their real-time data and their biology. They're going to be wearing CGMs or eventually glucose monitors that are non-invasive, smart clothing, smart footwear. Um, yep. How do you kind of think about the rest of that, that market? Is there any data pieces or is there any genetic components or other biomarkers that kind of play into the, the data here, or is it truly a kind of walking soul-based biomechanics? So I think that's what we want to be the world leader in. And I don't think we necessarily, like we want to stay in our lane and own our lane. That said, you know, working with companies like routine, working with companies like levels or other groups that are doing, you know, what, what I call them like pillars, right? So you have like the the nutrition, which is where you live, you have the genetic, we have the sleep, we want to be really driving that in the movement. And ultimately, I think we all come together in some like um, holistic approach, we all, we all provide value and really the, the kind of high performance lifestyle in the next coming years, will have all of us um, for just an optimized outcome of a human being. Like I think this comes down to longevity, quality of life, you know, just being able to do what we want to do for as long as possible, running a marathon into our 70s and, and, and 80s. Like we're kind of in the early innings, both routine and us, like the world will rapidly change, I think, in the next five years. Yeah, um, so we're just kind of starting. Exciting trends to, to think about. And, and as I kind of think about the future of health, and it's something where it's all about, as you kind of mentioned, quality of life. And people kind of say that as, as health span and being able to do things that you could do in your thirties that most people can't do in their eighties right now, but eventually by the people in our thirties now we'll be able we to do it there. in their eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's an exciting kind of thing to think about. Not only does that make 
quality of life better, but it also decreases co- the cost of healthcare. It decreases burden kind of across the board. And so it's really exciting to be building at the forefront of that and then thinking about the impact that not only you can make on customers and members today, but what that could look like in 50 years. Um, are there any other kind of health trends or any predictions that you're excited about or thinking about on a, on a day-to-day basis? You know, I think this, which is actually kind of, again, what we both do, I think this personalized future is getting operationalized now. And whether that's pharmaceuticals, whether that's nutrition, I just think that we're moving towards getting not a one-size-fits-all, very much tailored to who the human being is, lots of contextualized data of like their unique kind of manifestation of how they move and how they eat and what disease they are managing. That's what I think I'm the most excited about is I see it happening everywhere. This kind of personalization, which is so exciting. You know, like it's just, I I can only imagine what, again, the next kind of 10, 15, 20 years looks like when the group that is getting that personalization now is kind of the first, I guess, human cohort where that's ever really taken place. And it's kind of starting right right now. So I think I'm the most excited for where personalization goes um, across the board. Love it. I'm a, I'm 100% there with you. And I think it's, it's such an interesting time where historically the bar was really around clinical trials and, and only a certain subset of people and protocols and ideas were even accessible to those clinical trials. And and yes, there's still obviously a place for clinical trials and gold star related to kind of medical advancements on that side. But we're now at a place where, as you mentioned, it's the first human cohort of trying these things. We have access to data. Um, It will be really interesting to see the acceleration of research, the acceleration of understanding because of everything that's happening um, in the private and public sectors around what it looks like to have personalized nutrition, what it looks like to have precision medicine, precision um, pharmaceuticals, things like that. Um, And it'll be, as we mentioned before, just really helpful on the longevity side, um, on the health span side going forward. Um, It's, It's so exciting. Yeah. And on the topic of kind of all the things that you can do for your health. Um, what does your health stack look like as a founder? How do you stay on top of your health um, and kind of be the best you can as you're going about building a company? So I think it was better. I have two children under the age of two and a half. So I have a six month old and a two year old. And uh, I feel like my health has taken a somewhat of a backseat in the last year. Um, But what I do primarily, which is unbelievable, is I walk a lot. So I think a foundation, I try to put in, you know, probably two, two and a half hours of walking a day. I take all my my meetings when I can on that. Um, So that's a big one. I've really been getting into cold therapy. So I've been making the bath cold. Oh my God, it is, uh, it is some, but now that I'm maybe a couple months into it, I just love it. Like you kind of want it. Um, I just had a cold, like a cold shower for about five or six minutes. So I'm loving that. Um, I'm dealing with a knee issue. So I'm actually kind of a patient of, uh, of, of Plantigue as well. Um, so I have been seeing a physio coming back from a, a, a meniscus tear. So that's been good. Um, 
and I'm a vegetarian. So I actually put a lot of emphasis on not eating processed foods. Processed foods are so bad for us and just really like limiting my intake of chemicals that I can't read um, in food is a, is a big deal. So that's kind of it. Actually, I used to track my sleep. I don't quite track my sleep anymore. I found sleep tracking was interesting. It told me I had a bad night when I knew I had a bad night. It's like, yeah, my kid was up five times. I know I'm super tired. I get that. Um, so I don't really use that wearable anymore. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it. Definitely. I think, I think sleep tracking and sleep optimization is, is difficult when you have small children. Um, I have a two and a half year old and most nights so I know. sleep, most nights I sleep well, but, uh, when you have kids, your sleep isn't always your own. So you don't know, um, you can Mostly do everything right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can do yeah, everything like, right throughout the day. And then your kid decides to get up in the middle of the night because who knows why who um, knows, and they then, wet their bed and then they're upset. And now you're up. And for me, it's like, I struggle when I get up with my child my wife has the six month old now and that's kind of like a zone defense now with two and I take the two and a half but he's been having a hard time and he has been waking up and so once I get up I actually struggle to go back to bed so you're right like you can optimize for sleep and take the hot shower and don't look at your device and all that but then you just have a kid so <laughs> it just changes you know it's the, it's the variable that you really can't control on that side um yeah but talk to me a little bit more about the cold therapy it's it's obviously something that I've read a lot of research about I haven't done it myself but it's it's really interesting what are you like how did you get into it what are the benefits that you're seeing um any recommendations for anyone that's kind of thinking about it yeah so I think for one I have never been a fan of it like cold water it's like whew, you know like I like warmth but I was reading, I think it was Aubrey Marcus. I was reading the first time I got him talking about cold therapy. And then I, I, I heard a podcast with maybe Dave Asprey that said it and then Ben Greenfield. And, you know, like you're just listening, like, okay, like I'm actually going to actually and Joe Rogan too. I heard on, 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 on a podcast. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go and try it. You know, the effects on the brown fat and the brain. And, you know, like there's been such, like we really see its connection, even like in fighting cancers. It's amazing. So I started. And what the biggest thing I noticed was my energy. So you are in cold for a minute or two. When you're done, it's crazy how energized you are, or at least for me. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then as I do it, your body kind of wants it. Um, so I just felt like it made my body's almost metabolism be better. I should have done it when I was wearing a levels um, CGM a couple, maybe I, I did that about a year ago. Anyways, um, so I really find it valuable and it's invigorating as well. Like it just wakes you up. Um, so I feel like it's great for my mental clarity. I feel super clear after. I would recommend anybody try it, honestly. And then, yeah, you know, it's kind of self-discipline. Like you're amazed that you could even do it. And I worked up like a minute then two then three kind of like a, like a, yeah. So I would highly encourage that you do it. I love it. I have to, I have to try it. I have to get up my, uh, kind of the guts to do it, but I'm gonna, I, I'll try it. Um, outside of the, the health side, do you have any kind of top productivity hacks that you utilize, um, as a founder and as a parent? Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure it's very busy. 
it, it, it is. I'm a, I'm a big fan of writing. So I don't know how people, I don't know. I don't know what I think about something until I take a pen and paper and I write it out. So for me, I don't know how people function without, without that. So I have two notebooks, always one's like a to-do list. So that's like things I want to do, things that I want to talk to my team about. And then I have more like a journal where I write down my hopes and my dreams and my thoughts and my worries. And I feel like the two of those things together allow me to come be completely on top of my game. And when I don't have that, I don't feel like I'm on it. And then what I'll do is I'll actually take my to-do list and I'll put it to an actual app, but I start in the paper realm. And for me, it's a productivity hack that I just, I don't know how people function if they don't do that. That's at least how my brain works is a one. And then the two notebooks, one for the writing and one for the to-do list notes of a meeting, things like that. I feel like that's a critical one. Such a good um, example. I agree with the writing and I'm, I'm someone who I think you need to brainstorm on paper and kind of have meetings to come up with the, the next steps versus brainstorming live because you just, you're so much clearer when you think through something and write it down and read it over and you're like, okay, this makes sense. This doesn't. Um, and you can refine it so much faster, or at least I can. So much so faster. I love that. Um, any books or newsletters or other kind of content podcasts, et cetera, that you consume on a um, pretty often cadence that, that really helps you? So I like Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures on the startup VC game is someone that anybody that's in our world as a founder or operator needs to read, whether it's on the macroeconomic, you know, ESOP options, like everything. It's just an amazing resource that's free. That's from one of the best minds of investing. So it's unreal every single day. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, I like Seth Godin. I get his newsletter every day and I read that. That's just unreal in terms of his perspective and, and his writing. Um, I started getting the morning brew I signed up for. That's been actually quite interesting. Um, but I try to find things that more stimulate my mind. Um, I'm trying to read more too. Like as founders, like we kind of forget to read. We forget to learn. So the last like six months, I've, I've, I've been like dedicating an hour a day where I'm learning, I'm reading. I'm just in reading The Psychology of Money, which has been blowing my mind. Um, Amp It Up is another book too, which I just got, which I've heard has been awesome. So there was a lot there, but that's what I've been doing. <laughs> no, that's great. I need to look into those books as well. I think there are certain times as founders where we have more time than others, or at least like more time to dedicate towards learning, um, which I consider to be a massively helpful part of strategic thinking and kind of long-term planning. Um, you really need to kind of get those creative juices going as you kind of think about what it look, looks like to build the future because uh, there, yeah, totally. there isn't necessarily a playbook there. Um, so I'll have to check out those books. Um, I love, I love the recommendations there and some of the newsletters I've seen, some of them I haven't. So um, really great recommendations for, for the community as well. Um, and kind of as a, as a wrap up, I like to ask all the founders this, but if there are people within the community looking to start companies in consumer health or digital health, what kind of top piece of advice do you have for them? I think where, and this is off of the mistake that I feel like we've made and we've learned is focus, focus, focus. It's so easy. There's so many areas where digital health can be applied. I think it's about finding your minimum viable audience. And I'm, I'm, I'm more assured of that than I ever have been. 
So whatever founder, whatever someone is thinking about money, it's just about focus. Find a persona, find a niche, like both me and you, right? Like everybody could benefit from personalized nutrition. There are personas that I'm sure you understand that you go after. And I just think it's getting to that point early on and then understanding their problems, their loves, where they go, how they eat, how they operate. That's the hard lesson that I have learned that we almost could have done sooner than now, but now we're there. Um, and that's the advice that I would give anybody that's starting out. I love it. Um, it's so important because there's so many opportunities. And, and as a founder, you're really kind of thinking about what the future could be. And there's tons of opportunities to build in this direction or do this and, and really learning how to say no. And, and also with that, I find it's also important to kind of think about Yes, you have to think about expansion, but when you're doing that, like what percentage of your time are you thinking about it? And how are you really like MVP testing, failing totally. fast, um, figuring out your next move without kind of going a hundred or 90% into it um, to make sure that you're making the best guess that you can given the data that you have. Um, so I think it's such a, such a good piece well of advice. Said. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Precision Health Pod. Really appreciate it. Um, and the last, I guess the last piece, how can people uh, find Plantiga? How can people get access to it? And, and how can they find you? Yeah, so um, Quinn, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just my name, Quinn Sandler. For Plantiga, at Plantiga, that's kind of our handle on most social media platforms. For signing up, we're in beta. So anyone that comes in has to request access. Um, so you can go to plantiga.com slash membership and you can be able to request access there and learn more about the program. And, uh, you know, my email is always open to Sandler at plantiga.com. If anybody ever wants to email me or talk to me, I'm always, uh, I'm always open. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Madden and Mitchell Media.